0: The scripture reading today is from the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, verses 11 to 13. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, the three in one, you draw us into your community of love with people across all the ages and all around the world. By the same spirit that binds each one of us together, we pray that you speak to us today so that your message may encourage us and stretch us to trust and turn to you and follow you. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. We're continuing our sermon series this week where we're exploring questions that God asks us through different Bible stories and scripture. And you heard the question that Danny read just a minute ago, what are you doing here, is the question that God asks Elijah. And one of the things that I noticed about this question is that it really changes in meaning depending on what word you emphasize. Listen for a second. What... Are you doing here or what are you doing here or what are you doing here and finally what are you doing here Those are four very different questions depending on which word receives the emphasis with my voice. And unfortunately, I don't know about your Bible, but my translation didn't come with an audio version. There's no recording of God's voice reading scripture, so I can't really tell what God meant by the emphasis when God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? The only thing I can do is look at our context, which is so rich in this story, to try and figure out what was going on. You see, Elijah was in a really interesting position. The current king of the land was Ahab, and here is how scripture describes him. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those kings before him. Now the kings of Israel during the monarchy were pretty awful for the most part, so here scripture tells us that Ahab was the worst of the worst. He married Queen Jezebel, who was a Phoenician, a Phoenician of all people, and she worshipped multiple deities, including Baal and Asherah. And she convinced Ahab to join her in this worship. So he built temples for these foreign gods. And he participated in all the ritual activities that were required. And this didn't make the God of Israel very happy. Ahab was pretty much down on God's list. Um, That whole you shall have no other gods before me commandment. It turns out that God really meant that. And Ahab was breaking it. So, God sends the prophet Elijah, who delivered God's message to King Ahab. And the message was this. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then following God's instructions, Elijah hid from Ahab. He hid while the land withered up from a severe drought. We kind of know what that looks like here in Texas, don't we? First he hid in the wilderness where ravens fed him. And then in Zarephath is what scripture tells us. And Zarephath was a city in Sidon, which is part of the Phoenician states. Does that name sound familiar at all? It should, because it's where Jezebel came from. So yeah, Elijah hid in Queen Jezebel from Queen Jezebel in Queen Jezebel's own home country. Pretty smart, but that had to sting a bit when she found out. And there, hiding as a refugee who's crossed a border, a poor widow, one of Queen Jezebel's countrymen, gave room and board to Elijah, the prophet of the God of Israel. And and Elijah hid there for three years. Three-year drought that devastated the land, and then God sent Elijah back to Ahab. They argued and they said nasty things to each other, and finally Elijah instructed Ahab to send for the 450 priests and prophets of Baal that Jezebel had taught in their land, and for the 400 priests and prophets of Asherah, all of the holy men of the false gods that were in Israel. And Elijah said, send them to Mount Carmel, along with all the inhabitants of Israel that you can gather. There, they had a contest. Kind of like we're having a contest today, right? This, this evening, there's a contest that's going to happen. Yep. They had a contest to prove whose prophets were the real prophets and whose God was the real God. And Elijah got to set the rules and terms of the engagement. He instructed the people to bring two bulls, one for the prophets of Asherah and Baal and one for Elijah. And he said, we'll cut them into pieces and put them on on wood, but not set fire to it yet. They would each side prepare a bowl and put it on an altar. And then Elijah said, you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is going to be the real God. So this, he, Elijah was brilliant. How did he set this up, right? Here are 850 opponents and one Elijah. And those are his witnesses, but he was smart He said, send the people of Israel too. Because Elijah knew, no matter what the outcome was, whichever God won, of course Elijah knew who was going to win, whichever God won, the people would adhere to the God who won. So he was really smart to gather all those people, and it would destroy the reputation of whichever God lost. So the people set everything up as Elijah had asked them to. And scripture says this, The prophets called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar that they had made. And sometime around noon, after they'd been doing this for hours, Elijah's smack talk began. You didn't know the Bible had smack talk, did you? I am going to quote here. Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, and we just need to wake him up. I am not joking. This is in scripture. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you don't believe me. Elijah has smack talk for these other prophets. And no matter how hard they tried, nothing happened, not even a spark. There was no voice, no answer, and no response. So finally, sometime in the afternoon, Elijah said, Come here to me. And everybody came to him. And Elijah prepared repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the, Lord, the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with these stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench, a large trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. That's a lot of seed back then. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Go fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering. And on the wood, they did it. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it again. And finally, he said, do it a third time. And they did. That water ran down around the altar. There was so much water, it filled the trench that they had dug. All that water. You just got to know that only the true God of Israel is going to make that wood catch on fire now, right? So at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. You know what happened next? The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. And it was so hot, it licked up the walls of the trench, and all the water evaporated. When the people saw this, they fell and cried out, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. The 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah failed miserably. And Elijah, with God's help, trounced his opponents. Now, sticking with the theme of today, I kind of think of this as the biblical Super Bowl. Elijah looked like the underdog going into this, didn't he? He was one prophet against 850 others. That would not be a fair football game, would it? But we all know that when the stakes are high, like a national championship, the numbers don't necessarily predict what's going to happen. When the stakes are high... Unpredictable things might happen. And at this point, Elijah then decided to slaughter all the priests of Baal and Asherah, all 850, and he sent Ahab running back to the palace in the pouring rain after three years of drought. Elijah sent Ahab to Jezebel. Ahab told her what he and the people of Israel had witnessed. And Jezebel sent a message back to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of the prophets you just killed. So now he's got a death warrant on his hands. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Who could blame him? And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. God's response is kind of funny here. It's like he knows that maybe Elijah's just a little bit hangry. Because he sends an angel with food and water, which Elijah consumes after a little sleep. And then Elijah traveled into the wilderness for 40 days until he came to Mount Horeb, where he found a cave and he slept some more. You know, I really feel for Elijah because he basically had done everything God had asked him to do. He fled into the hiding twice for his life, first for three years and now again in the wilderness. All he had done was follow God's word, God's plan. It has been hard. He's risked his neck over and over and over again, and he is still on the run. Nothing's gotten better. He's burned out, wiped out, and ready to die. God, I am done. He said, take my life. And God's only question to him is, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? How did you get here? How did you get to the point of so much exhaustion and fear that hiding in a cave seemed like the best choice, the best option for you? And Elijah sort of says, Well, I got here because I did what you asked me to do, God. I think so often when we look back on our lives, we can see where we've hit those spots in our past, right? Where we've been driving along, smooth sailing in the far left lane on a wide open stretch of I-35, nowhere in Austin. (laughs) Traveling 75 or 80 miles per hour, and then we just run out of gas. We weren't paying attention to the signs of our gas tank, We weren't paying any attention to what we were experiencing. And the next thing you know, we're puttering to a stop at the side of the road of life. And all we want to do is sleep and have somebody else take over, somebody else to make those decisions, all of those decisions for us, somebody else to do all the adulting, as my children call it. I think that maybe where we got stuck is where our lives are, are going and blowing and everything is raging and roaring around us. Good things, great things even. Things that just eclipse the sound of God's voice for us. We have trouble hearing it. And not only is God's voice masked by all that we're doing, and all the noise and the clamor we forget sometimes, we forget to move closer to God when we're not hearing God's voice. We forget to seek God out. And our tanks, our spiritual tanks, just keep running on empty. Hopefully we recognize it before we're stranded by the side of I-35, or maybe worse, in a cave. I'm not sure which would be worse, frankly. And remember, Elijah wasn't doing bad things. He was doing exactly what God had sent him to do. Maybe a little more flamboyantly, and extravagantly than was absolutely necessary i mean did he really have to soak that wood three times wouldn't once have been enough or twice three times really did he have to engage in all that smack talk but he did catch jezebel's attention didn't he what are you doing here I don't think God is asking a geographical question of Elijah. I think God knows exactly where Elijah is. Remember, God made the earth and everything in it. makes it a little hard to hide from God when you're on God's creation. I think the question is more like, how did you get to this point in your life? This spot of desperation. How did you get so mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted that you would rather be dead? The key to not finding ourselves where Elijah was is to try to recognize the symptoms of an empty tank, or an emptying tank might be the better better way to say it, before we get there, before we get burned out on life. We need to recognize the symptoms of this empty tank before we hit the bottom. But what are those symptoms? And they tend to differ from person to person. I've heard about people not being able to eat. I've heard about headaches, perpetual exhaustion, whether you've slept or not. Some people experience stomach and digestion problems. There are, those are all the physical signs But there are also emotional ones as well, like outbursts of anger, feelings of resentment or self-pity, especially when they're directed towards your safe people, the people who have to love you no matter what, your family. This all happens when our tanks are running on empty. But the best way to tell is to ask yourself, am I acting differently, am I feeling differently than I usually do? That's usually a sign that something's wrong. Elijah had been so focused on besting those priests of Baal and Asherah and running from Jezebel that he found himself running with an empty tank. He ate, he drank, and he slept. And then he listened for God's word. He heard a great wind, an earthquake, and a fire. All symbols of that raging and storming that were going around Elijah. These three things mirrored his life. And Elijah, couldn't, didn't find God in any of the storms or the loud noises. Imagine that. But then there was silence. And that silence was so deep and so profound. You could almost read right through this. The scripture says, Elijah moved towards it. And that's where Elijah heard God's voice. After he hadn't eaten and slept... After he had eaten and slept, and after all the raging and roaring had ended, Elijah heard God in the silence, but only after he, Elijah, turned and moved toward that silence. He moved himself and reoriented himself away from the chaos and toward God. What are you doing here? God asks. I think maybe the key to this question isn't which word is being emphasized. But just like I suggested at the beginning, it's the context. And in this case, it's your context. Maybe, just maybe, the key to this question is that Elijah has finally turned towards the one thing that can give him solace and rest, that can refill his tank when it's on empty. He's turned towards God. Amen. As the ushers come forward... I want to remind you that we have the electronic giving cards in the back of the chairs for anybody who chooses to give electronically, and also that we like to have everybody here in this room hold on to the baskets and pray for all the gifts that we offer up to God today, including your presence here this morning. Will you pray with me as the ushers come forward? Loving God, we are here today away from the noise and raging storms in our lives, And we are listening for your word for us. We have come reorienting ourselves towards you. And God, we are so grateful that this is all we have to do because you are always, always there, waiting. So God, in our gratitude today, we return to you part of all the many gifts you've shared with us. We give to you our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And we ask that you use all that we have to give you so that others may turn to you and find rest as well. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.